Welcome to the number one South Asian radio station in North America. Ruckus Avenue Radio. I'm a doctor, a father, an American, an Indian. I've had conversations about life from every angle. And as I've navigated the South Asian experience, I share stories of people and their purpose. And what they're saying over and over again is, trust me, I know what I'm doing. I'm Abhay Dandekar, and on this episode of Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing, we're joined by New York lawyer and the National Director of South Asians for America, Neha Dewan. Stay tuned. I bet coffee table and dinner table conversations surrounding politics this past year in South Asian households of all varieties have been, well, interesting. In our communities, our families, our extended circles across the globe, we just have diverse interests, varying priorities, multiple political situations that draw our attention in different continents, and frankly, lots of people who are close to us who agree, disagree, and either agree or disagree to agree or disagree. The emotional and rational reserves, I'm sure, have been tested, and regardless of your political leanings, discussions have probably been, again, well, interesting. So with this backdrop in the U.S. this past year, finding common ground, unifying around a cause, bridging gaps within our own community, and mobilizing South Asian Americans has been a passion of critical value for Neha Dewan. She's a New York-based lawyer who last year served as the National Director for South Asians for Biden, and now for South Asians for America. She's long been active in local and national politics and at the governmental level, previously working with the Obama and Hillary Clinton campaigns and serving as a deputy director and general counsel for New York City's Mayor de Blasio. Neha immigrated to the U.S. when she was 11, and her interest in community organizing and civic engagement has been deeply rooted. We caught up last month and I asked her particularly to reflect from her lens on what she was doing a year ago and compare it to the current political climate. Oh my goodness, that's such a great question because literally last year at this point, we were ramping up. Um, You know, there was a lot of misinformation being spread, particularly in the Indian American community um, about, you know, why President Biden's not good for the community. And that was something that we had to tackle head on right about April, May. Um, And who would have thought, you know, this was, it's so funny because it almost seems like the Trump era was so long ago, but it wasn't because I just feel like this cloud has been lifted off of us since January 20th. But looking back, I mean, I had no idea well, I guess I did, but really when you're, you know, it's not until when you're really in the trenches that you have an idea as to how long and how quick that journey was going to be. Um, and now it's already been five months into um, President uh, Biden's presidency. And there's, you know, already been so many remarkable things that he's done in his first hundred days. So uh, looking back, um, you know, of course, I had no idea what was to come and how great it would be for the country. Yeah. But boy, is that a snapshot in time going back and saying, wow, we were ramping up and this was going to happen, you know, over the course of nine months or so. It, it does. Does it make the sentiment that we have now, um, now that we've gone past that 100 day mark and thinking about all the effort that went into that ramp up and, of course, all the the hard work and toil that it took by, by so many, th- does it make the thinking about this moment uh, that much sweeter, or is it just a, simply a reminder of of how much work that that continues to, to need to be done? 
I mean, I think it's both. So I was also the um, national co-chair for South Asians for Hillary back in 2016. And, you know, we worked very hard back then, too. And I remember I was at Javits Center and, um, you know, the night of the election and we were set. I mean, that, that mood at Javits Center was just incredible. And all of a sudden, once the results started to come in, I mean, it was just, I would say, top five worst moments of my life. Yeah. So, and we worked hard then too, right? And so building on that, you know, knowing four years of this was coming. So we were prepared. We knew what the work was to be done. So the culmination of this in November was very, very sweet, you know? And of course we didn't necessarily know which way we were going to land, but we were, all we knew was we were going to mobilize the community and it was going to happen um, and, and, and do the best that we could. But yeah, I mean, it's such a sweet moment. Oh my goodness. When we, when we found out that, you know, he had won and this is certainly, you know, the margin of victory, but you're right. I mean, I think there is always work to be done. We are not there yet. There is um, certainly, you know, fragmentation even within the API community, within the South Asian community that needs to be fixed. There are many issues for the South Asian community um, that, you know, the country has to work for. So it's never it's never a done job. But, oh, my goodness, that is a sweet, sweet victory when you have worked so hard. Well, especially thinking about the 2016, 17 moments and, you know, contrasting that now is the motivation now to uh, remind ourselves that a lot of this is so fleeting and a lot of this is, you know, these are snapshots and, and we have to work very hard to uh, either preserve that or, or evolve and innovate to make sure that it's, that there's some longevity to it. Yeah. I mean, I think those moments, right. Like when you have a victory and when you have a loss in, in that sense that those are snapshots, but what that carries with you, I think is more long lasting, Mm -hmm. but what that ultimately translates into, I think is the bigger question. So for instance, what I experienced in 2016, as I'm even thinking about it right now, I almost feel like I have PTSD, um, you know, was a snapshot at that time. But what that carried for me and the motivation that became for me was something that was over the course of four years. And certainly my idea for South Asians for Biden back in December 2019, the sweet victory that I felt in November was also a snapshot, which then turned in, oh my goodness, we need the Senate in January, um, which then leads me to say, okay, well, we need an organization that capitalizes on this momentum for the South Asian community. But it is it is then a long lasting um, moment, as you want to say, even though that yeah. one particular moment, you know, um, was really a moment in time. You know, do you think that the mobilization effort within the South Asian community that's happened over the last four or five years, w- was some of that actually made possible and fueled, in fact, by the chaos and the loss after that 2016-17 election? I mean, I would say it's a bit of both, right? So there were a lot of folks who were extremely disappointed um, that, you know, Secretary Clinton didn't win. But at the same time, I I do think that our community has become more civically engaged. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I would say we're in the past decade and even the last five years or so. So some of that might have been fueled by that. But I think that there's just been more general awareness and general acceptance, too, in the South Asian community that it is okay to be civically engaged, to go into the community organizing space or in the political space. Um, And you're seeing more and more of that. So I feel like it's almost like a cycle. You know, it might have spun off from that, but there's already more engagement and that's leading to more engagement and more enthusiasm and seeing more progress for the community, for the for the country really. Let me ask you this. I mean, for our own community, that's just, I mean, so terrifically and wonderfully diverse with so many different pockets within it, right? But juxtaposed with other communities of color, 
why is it actually so important for that matter and, and yet so am amazingly challenging to build coalitions, not just within uh, our own groups, but of course, uh, among all the other communities of color that are out there who, who form that sort of collective civic engagement? Right. No, that's that's a very good question. Um, so I think that it's, you know, uh, with anything in life, it's about finding common ground. Um, and, you know, I'll give you a quick example. For instance, on our phone banks, what we found to be very effective was when we had somebody who was speaking the same language, even in the same accent, people were more receptive to that, right? So, you know, somebody might be Hispanic, somebody might be African-American, somebody might be from Japan, but actually finding that common ground that, hey, you know, we are the victims of hate crimes or we are the victims of racism or what have you. You found that you find that common ground and you're able to build upon that. And I think that sometimes we realize that there are more similarities and there are differences. And of course, any community. I mean, if you go right down at the granular level of a community, you will find that there is some issue, some difference that people are going to be fighting over. Yeah. Right. But at the end of the day, it's about how do you come together into in with regards to the broader community, build partnerships, because we're not isolated as a community, even within the South Asian community, not isolated, API. The only way to be seen is to build those bridges. That's it. Mm -hmm. If you are just an island by yourself, no one, no one is noticing you. So I would say that, you know, yes, sometimes it's challenging because you have these differences, but there are so many similarities and you just have to build on that, really. And, and I imagine that um, that first initial kind of volley is so critical to then building and convincing people of why that's so important, no matter where you're reaching, right? Within the South Asian community, outside of the South Asian community, is that, is that kind of been the, the essential mantra that you get past that first sort of bridge-making task and, and you go forward from there? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you it's essentially it's building on those blocks. Right. So you are able to get through to somebody or an organization and make that connection. But then you just have to build on it because you can't just say, well, we are similar in this way and the job is done. It's like, no, we are similar in this way and this is what's affecting us. And how do we collectively come together um, and and also make 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 it, make it a long lasting partnership? Um, you know, because, again, it's not just a fleeting moment relationship. This is something that we have to even build on in non-election years um, yeah. so that we are able to move forward as a minority community, um, you know, during election years. Let me ask you something that that's probably more reflective of your own background with this. Um, when did you first realize that that this was sort of your passion, that this was something that you were going to capitalize on? And, um, you know, how did you kind of develop this passion for advocacy and and, and politics and was this spark kind of always there um, for you or did it sort of evolve uh, for you personally? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because um, I've actually reflected on that. I didn't realize that, you know, I this is something that I was interested in or um, this was the path that was going to be. But I actually grew, so I immigrated to the United States when I was 11 and I grew up in a very, very homogenous community. Um, and, you know, as you can imagine, I mean, for instance, in high school of 2000, my sister and I were the only South Asians, mm -hmm. um, maybe a handful of minority kids. Um, so that comes with its own challenges. And, you know, people would make fun of my accent and, you know, the typical bullying thing. But there were also a lot of elements of racism, I think, that we experienced. And that suddenly made me realize that, hey, first of all, nobody looks like us. How do people even know what my struggles are? I mean, I'm dealing with sort of xenophobia and racism. And also, um, you know, I have this culture shock that I'm coming through across another country, but nobody knows what I'm going through. 
So anyways, um, you know, I, I uh, decided to join student council because thinking, you know, more selfishly, like, oh, well, maybe if I'm visible, then kids are not going to make fun of me. And what I realized at that point is, wait, student council, they actually get to, you know, figure out what's going to happen around school, what the food, at, you know, the cafeteria yeah. is going to be, you know, those really, really important issues. They, they um, are critical. <laughs> they are so critical. That food at the, you know, that canteen, let me just tell you. That's right. Um, and, you know, it just again, it, it wasn't a very conscious thing, but I started to realize, wait a second, you know, I come here and I have a say and um, I can do something. So, you know, was uh, involved in leadership ca uh, capacities, it's the same thing in college, but in terms of politics, actually, I would say, this is when Rashma Sajani um, ran for Congress. She's the first South Asian woman to run for Congress. I was so inspired by that. Um, again, there was nobody who looked like me uh, who had done that. She was a woman. She was a young woman. And I was like, wow, wait a second. Yeah, we could do this. Like this could actually be us. It's not just for white males. This is not just the community I'd grown up with, the um, political landscape that I, I see. So. That really piqued my interest. And then, you know, that kind of brought back that whole, all right, you know, you can go into this leadership space. So I helped out, you know, as a volunteer on her campaign and some other campaigns in New York City. And I just got very interested in community organizing. And what that also made me realize, and I think part of it was because I had such a homogenous upbringing, that it was so important uh, for me to be a part of a community, but for that community to be a, feel a part of its own community, because I know my experience was not alone. There were so many of us who were growing up in very homogenous communities. So my goal, honestly, through a lot of my community organizing is to bring every single South Asian person together. Mm -hmm. So there is a network. There is some, there's a couch to crash on. There is a mentorship. There is somebody who's able to connect you to somebody about a job. Or if you want to run for office, we all know each other. We all can help each other. We know what the issues are that we can then promote. Um, going forward. So that's a very long-winded answer, but that, that was really, I would say, my journey to get to where I am here, what I'm doing today. Well, it's a reminder, uh, you know, that it all starts with student council, number one. It does. You, <laughs> you know, know, I'm telling you that lunch food is important. Yeah. Well, and, and on top of that, I mean, I, I wonder if the the framework of this I becoming a we is so is so critical to that also, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm curious about one thing. So much of the mindset of the South Asian community, and certainly as a as an immigrant yourself, you can empathize um, with this experience. But you know, across several generations of, of voters, is is rooted in themes that are so deep in India and Pakistan and Bangladesh and, and Sri Lanka. How have you and and now kind of South Asians for America been able to kind of balance this weight of the the tether back to those kinds of um, histories and, and political realities that exist in South Asia with the reality and presence of the civic engagement here and American politics and the goals that we all have sort of collectively in mind. Right. Now, that's an important question. So I think that with, um, you know, as we see here, there's also, um, you know, tug of war between do we identify ourselves as South Asian? Do we, is it, you know, Indian or Pakistani? Because I think that some people are averse even to the terms of South Asian. And that yeah. tends to be go with, you know, a certain generational um, element. I think that what we were very clear during the 2020 election is that, you know, of course, we are very everybody's very attached to their homeland. That's just the way that it is. I mean, I left when I was 11, but, you know, India is very near and dear to my heart. 
However, you know, what affects me putting my child to sleep at night and putting food on my table is really what happens here in the United States. Of course, we care about what happens overseas, but, you know, as I like to say it, it is one item on the menu. Um, yeah. And you have to consider, you know, everything that you have on the plate in terms of what you need to be making um, uniform decisions over. Um, one of the challenges that we did have was, um, you know, this, the the national identity part where folks said, look, we're not even going to subscribe to the South Asians for Biden because we're not South Asian. Mm. And so what we then had to do was create these national councils where there was a little bit of identity um, involved, like the Indians for Biden, Pakistanis for Biden. Um, and but we tailored our messaging from a very positive standpoint that spoke to that community, yeah. all with the messaging that was with the umbrella of the South Asians for Biden. But again, you know, what happens overseas, um, you know, it should be taken into consideration to the extent that it's going to affect your life here and move yeah. forward. So I think sometimes that is, you know, it's very challenging, but that's a nuance that people need to be reminded of. Um, on a regular basis and a particular generation, I would say. The, the South Asian community, South Asian Americans were, were so pivotal in, in the last election, which hopefully means that the representation and the coalitions that were built serve as some kind of leverage, I imagine, to now hold on, hold our elected officials to, to be accountable. How, how would you survey the activity so far? And, and kind of what are you hopeful for? What are you hopeful to see more of? Oh, my goodness. I, the response has been incredible. I can't even tell you that as recent as two weeks ago, people were still signing up for the South Asians for Biden listserv. And I'm thinking, guys, you know what I'm saying? The election is over. The Georgia Senate elections are over. The inaugura inauguration gala is over, you know, right. but that just goes to show that people are still looking for space. They yeah. want to do something. They're motivated. And I think that they realize, one, that their efforts matter. Two, um, you know, how critical that vote is, especially given the margin of victories um, in, in some of these states. And people, like I said, they're looking around and saying, oh, well, so-and-so did a phone bank. Um, you know, so-and-so is doing this. My friend did this. My, my mom is doing this. That, you know, and then it, it then becomes, you know, acceptable and it's great. So it's a combination of lots of different things. But my goodness, that momentum is there. And it is so heartening to see that this is not just a moment. This was not just, oh my goodness, let's remove Trump out of office. It's like, no, we have the right candidate. This is great, but we are engaged as a community. We are going to move forward. I actually just had a call this morning with somebody, and I have one literally every single day about how they can be involved with South Asians for America. And people are not just saying, hey, yeah, you know, call me when I can write a postcard in 2022. They're saying, mm -hmm. what can we do right now? Yeah. And it's yeah. May, and I'm itching to move forward, which yeah. is amazing. I mean, it's just music to our ears at this right. point. Really. To the uh, elected official now, how do you think the efforts so far have changed how they view the South Asian American voter of 2021 and 2022? Is there, are we entering into a new era where where this matters to to those who are not within the community and to our elected officials? And, and what kinds of, I guess, levers do we have to, to hold those folks accountable now? Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, the comment that I made earlier about, you know, being seen is, is uh, you know, so important. If you, first of all, if you don't actually make noise, right, if it, it, where are you going to be seen? And I think that if you don't vote, where are you going to be seen? So if the data shows that there is, you know, a spike in um, a, a particular voting block or a certain percentage, 
Well, if that's a margin of victory, you are going to be seen. And certainly if you are making the issues that are important to you heard. Um, also, if there's more folks from your community who are running for office and are making issues, are highlighting certain issues, um, yeah, I mean, I don't think we're invisible. We're not. Yeah. I mean, we may have been, you know, when I was growing up and where I could not even imagine that somebody like me or my somebody from my community could even think about running for office to where we are now. I mean, we are being considered, um, you know, our, our heritage is important. Our community is important. And it's not just in from a financial perspective. I mean, there's just so much that that we can offer. Um, and even looking at folks in the administration, I mean, there's just so many South Asians who are, you know, experts in their own right, who are experienced, who are, you know, the best of the best. Um, so, you know, it's not just we are there. We are everywhere. And so, the you know, it, it's a note to the politicians that, yeah, I mean, we should be considered, um, you know, we should and be courted, too. Yeah, well, I, I hope so. Right. We like we like being visible. We like being at the dance and, um, you know, we like to dance. We definitely like to dance. Our community likes to dance. <laughs> Given there, there's so much um, activity and uh, presence not only here, but of course, internationally and abroad with so many, you know, newsworthy items, but also kind of strategic items, right? Whether it's um, COVID or it's uh, activity that, that's based in South Asia. Would you say that the administration and those now South Asian Americans who are in the administration and those who are poised to now be uh, elected officials in, in future elections, is there is the lens on all of this collectively because we've made this kind of pivotal move and and we've entered into almost a sort of a new era of this representation you know are there are there tangible examples of of how we are making a difference aside from just bringing people to the the finish line in in victory so i think that you know south asia has always been important really in any administration um so I think that those issues, you know, that are being looked at now would be something, you know, I would at least like to believe and, and some of the other administrations would also be important. Yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, the type of issues, right, that may have been overlooked before might come to light based on who is in the administration, who is advising, and what's coming up through the community, right? So for instance, if there's something with respect to COVID, well, I don't think that a, a administration is just going to, you know, ignore that. And that's not because the community is making a big hoopla per se, but the kind of aid that is being delivered and where it's being delivered, some of that might come through, you know, the channels based on who you have, yeah. um, you know, the administration. So yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's a bit of both. Certainly not droves. But a fair number of those in the South Asian American community, let's say, are not necessarily aligned with the mission and the ideals of South Asians for America. And and like all of us, right? I mean, people have diverse opinions, and they and they certainly are turning out to both vote as well as you know be represented. Now, I've talked to others on the podcast about this, but I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are on sort of breaking the the gridlock of that almost political tribalism and thinking about how, how do you actually break bread, if you will, or, or how do you actually form um, the bonds to actually make activity and action and outcomes possible? Or, or are we 
you know, in some ways, at least from the outsider's perception, are we doomed to just constantly sort of live in our in our silos? Right. No, no, of course. And like I said, you know, my personal goal has always been to bring the South Asian community together, right? Because at the end of the day, we might be uh, have some political differences, but what we experience is also very collective, and that has an impact on our daily lives as a collective community. So yes, of course, there will always be people who are not aligned with your mission, but I think that for South Asians for America, the goal for us is to lead through what it is that we are seeking to do. And if that appeals to people, some people who may not otherwise have been aligned with our mission, then that's great. And there are some that will just never be able to get into our camp, right? right? For instance, one of the things that we're doing is um, candidate recruitment and training. We want to be able to develop a pipeline of South Asian candidates and provide them with the appropriate training, you know, because some of them don't even know where to start and messaging and things like that. Now, that might appeal to somebody who may not necessarily have been in our camp to say, hey, you know, I would actually benefit from something like this, you know, or whether it's a big youth initiative that we have. We want to make sure that we're getting the youth civically engaged and getting them into the fold and, and uh, you know, um, introducing them to community organizing and voter registration, things like that. Well, that is something that, you know, if you weren't necessarily aligned with our mission, but you're like, this is great for my child. I can actually yeah. sit there and do something with my grandchild. Then it, it's it's based on our mission and not necessarily, hey, what is the political stance here? So, mm. you know, I think that people have to be open minded at the end of the day. If they're just saying, hey, well, this is just this, then, you know, no, it's an automatic no. But if they're actually willing to take a look and say, all right, well, this is something I want to, you know, give a shot to, then then that's there, too. And, and, you know, um, is it a, a struggle, uh, or at least especially since we feel like we've turned a corner and the sort of cloud has been lifted, as you mentioned, um, are, are people more willing to take a look or, or has that, is that still going to take some time, um, you know, as, as we go forward? I think so. I'm, I'm pretty hopeful, honestly. And I think that this could just be, you know, the, just the point of view that I've always had and certainly the response that I've had. And that could also just be, you know, a self-fulfilling prophecy based on people who would have just subscribed to this anyway. But I really am hopeful because that's where it comes from, right? It's at the end of the day, say, for instance, if somebody decides to run for office, they feel confident enough that they can do that. Um, and in the same space here, people say, all right, well, let me just actually think about this. Um, think about if you just look at issues that were taboo at one point that have now become a little bit more mainstream, that even uncles and aunties have gotten, you know, come around to. Well, that starts with being open-minded about something. Something piques your interest, and then it's more normalized and it's destigmatized, and that comes from somewhere. So, whether this was a few years ago or whether it's the beginning of it now, I feel extremely hopeful, and I think that the response from the community has been amazing. And I don't just mean in a specific cohort. I'm so encouraged by the intergenerational interest. Yeah. Um, which is something that's been very important for South Asians for America too. Not only do we want to make sure that we are very inclusive of the entire South Asian diaspora, make sure that there's a gender, a gender balance, um, sexuality, but also to make sure that it's an intergenerational organization so that the entire South Asian community across the country feels like they can belong to that. One, well, it, it sounds um, like the ingredients for an organization that's hopefully evolving as the community evolves and, and grows as the community grows and, and sort of moves as it moves as well. You know, as a, a South Asian American woman, as a parent, um, and, and reflecting a little bit on the work that you do, what brings you joy in this work of political advocacy and activism, especially um, when, you know, those who may 
enter into reflecting on politics for the first time might not necessarily find a whole lot of joy um, in that conversation. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> for sure. So it's, it's funny. I'm a lawyer by trade. So the advocacy part is, you know, natural. And, you know, my motivation, like I said, over the last decade or so has always been the community. I really wanted it to be a, a we get to know each other and really be a very, very tight knit community. But I think everything that I do now is is truly just for my daughter. She's almost two years old. Um, and, you know, thinking about what life is going to look like for her, the choices that she wants to make, is she going to be constrained? Is someone going to tell her that she can't do X, Y, Z, or someone going to choose life for her? And so I'm very deliberate about and very conscious about, okay, like this is not just about a passion that I've had to improve my community. This is literally also having an impact on my daughter's life. Um, you know, so that gives me an extra motivation um, and and really, she's a light of my life, which, you know, I, I, I'm sure every parent says that about their child, but she is the extra motivation that I have um, for what I do. But hopefully the the spark of joy that that's there is infectious, right? That that people see that in you and they want to get involved. They want to actually become more civically engaged, or at least they want to be a part of it and turn that I into a we. Right. Right. And I'll actually say that we have such an incredible team. You know, uh, South Asians for Biden, South Asians for America is literally been built on the shoulders of folks who have put in the blood, sweat and tears. And it is a family. Um, and, and if we can just replicate that across the country and truly become a family, I mean, there's nothing like it. Yes. So it, it's not just an I. I mean, I'm here just speaking on behalf of just a, a whole bunch of people who put in a lot of work and have made such a difference. Um, and it, it's just been such an honor to get to know these people too. It's incredible. Well, it's terrific, uh, the the work you're doing, and it's obvious that you are, are so passionate about it. Neha, thank you so much for joining us today. It's really been a treat, and, and I hope you'll come back and join us again. Thank you so much for having me. And you can check out Neha's work at sa4america.org. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and follow Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing on the socials at My Good Freight. Remember that contract negotiations, aerosolized infectious particles, and climate change are all quite real. Till next time, I'm Abhay Dandika. Hi, this is Chloe Flower, and you're listening to me on Ruckus Avenue Radio.